Bytes. I'm Jesse Chizeski K. And I'm Susan Wong. Jesse and I are two statisticians in academia, and we want to bring statistics closer to you. We will touch on topics in big data, data science, machine learning, artificial intelligence, and this list may grow. In this episode, we will bring to you two stories. The first is about how you can be put in the shoes of a world-class maestro and conduct beautiful music from the comfort of your very own home. And the second story looks at a way to identify the most influential movie of all time using network science. Jesse, are you a fan of orchestral concerts? I don't know that I would call myself a fan per se, but I certainly have enjoyed these concerts, uh, the concerts that I've attended. And I also especially do enjoy the orchestras that play in musicals. Okay. And I'd probably put myself in the same um, in the same bucket as well. I used to go to way more of these concerts when I was a child, back when I, like everyone else I knew, was learning to play the piano. So my parents thought it was a good idea to bring me to concerts to listen to classical music. But one of the things that I was most mesmerized by was the conductor's baton. The fact that the instruments were so seemingly synchronized with the baton just blew my mind. I knew, of course, the musicians were following the baton to time their entrance and exits in and out of passages. But occasionally, occasionally my mind got tricked into thinking the baton is actually the thing making the music. It's kind of like an optical illusion. You know it's not real, but your mind just gets confused temporarily. Yeah, I guess the the image that I have in in mind too is, did you ever see um, Disney's Fantasia with Mickey Mouse as a conductor? Uh, Yeah. uh, And and I think there's some, I don't know if it's not like a ride, but kind of an event that you can go to at Disney World in Florida, where it's like this Disney Philharmonic orchestra type thing and anyway they play part of Fantasia in it and yeah it's Mickey Mouse conducting with the baton and yeah it it does it seems like at least in this cartoon (laughs) that um, the baton is in fact kind of making the music yeah when they can get all the synchronizing to happen perfectly it's just it's really magical (laughs) it is it's yeah it's, it's beautiful So anyway, Google has now released an online app that lets you be the conductor, control the baton, and watch how the orchestra responds to your musical direction. So we'll include the link on our website, but you can also go to it yourself. Um, It's a rather, uh, not too long URL. It's experiments.withgoogle.com slash semi-conductor. So you don't have to download anything. It is completely going to run within your web browser. You don't even need a baton or an imaginary wand to conduct. You do have to have a built-in camera on your device. um, And in this camera is used in conjunction with deep learning techniques for computer vision to process your body movements. Wow. So do you know what's going on in the background of the app? So the specific task that the app is doing um, is called pose estimation. This just means that the app is trying to convert video footage of your body movements into meaningful data about where your body parts are located in snapshots of the video. So if you have a raised arm, if you have your elbow at an angle, um, you know, where your legs are, these are all things that sort of get converted into information that the app then knows to process and and sort of think about what the orchestra might sound like as it's responding to your 
body movements. Ah, okay. So that way the computer can see if you're waving your hands in a particular way and then translate that into signaling something with your imaginary baton. That's right. So so basically your hands will move and it sort of thinks that you have an imaginary baton somewhere in there. And um, if your arms seem to be waving to the left of the image, then the computer translates that into your signaling the left section of the orchestra to begin to play and so on. And the backbone of this engine that makes this uh, real-time pose estimation possible is a convolutional neural network design called PoseNet. This came out of a paper unveiled in 2015 by authors Alex Kendall, Matthew Grimes, and Roberto Chapula. And we'll link this paper on our website. I should say that most computer vision procedures that are rooted in deep learning will have a convolutional neural net component. So the actual implementation here um, is based off of tensorflow.js. That's the JavaScript flavor of Google Brain's own open source software library for machine learning. And it's integrated a version of PoseNet that will allow for pose estimation in real time directly inside of your web browser. And um, just to clarify how this all works, right? So PoseNet, the, um, the, the method identifies a total of 17 key points currently on the human body. So these key points are just locations that are of interest. So you've got your left eye, your right eye, your nose, a lot of things on your face that are interesting, um, as well as different parts of our limbs. So our left wrist, left elbow, left shoulder, um, same things on the right, and of course our legs. So all in all, 17 key points. And if you were to look at a map of this, um, that's included also in one of the links that we are sharing, it's almost like you're looking at... Um, a superset of the constellation Orion. It's sort of like a person and you see, do you see it, Jesse? Yeah, no, I totally do. That's really cool. It, it's funny too, because it looks like um, it stops at the ankle. So the feet aren't really that important, I guess. Um, but yeah, maybe in a lot of cases, the camera can't get to your feet. Maybe that's oh. the problem. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then I was thinking too, we keep saying imaginary baton, but someone really could have a baton in their hand if they, if they wanted to, right? That's true. If they had a baton in their hand, um, it would make this maybe a little more realistic for them. And, and I'm guessing PoseNet would still be able to just focus on where their hand, where their wrists are. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's great. That's really neat. So abstracting away from orchestra conducting, which is what this particular application does, a PoseNet generally uh, is a package that can work for a lot of other things that involve pose estimation. And it just takes away from the video um, the individual images and it turns it into sort of um, several pieces of information. So first of all, it's going to detect how many individuals are in the image and give a confidence score ranging from zero to one for each detected person. So obviously that's not so useful for the particular application of conducting an orchestra because there's always one single conductor. Might be rather messy if you had two people trying to conduct simultaneously. Uh, but for things like where you have a security camera and you're trying to scan and figure out how many people are in a particular um, scene of the footage, um, this is something that can be very helpful to sort of figure out where the individuals are and what are the probabilities that you really are seeing um, each individual there. 
Uh, additionally, for each person that it finds, it also then um, detects where their 17 key points are, provides those in two-dimensional X and Y coordinates, and each of those also has its own confidence score on a scale from zero to one. So in a particular picture where maybe we're raising our hand, uh, PoseNet, PoseNet might say that your wrist, elbow, and shoulder are all aligned vertically and then um, give you a confidence score between zero to one for each of those positions uh, or each of those key points. And then that would sort of quantify how confident PoseNet is that your wrist, elbow, and shoulder are at, at those locations. Ah, so if you hold a position for a long time, perhaps the algorithm is going to have, I guess, greater confidence in the location of those 17 um, body parts, whereas if you're moving around a lot, the confidence scores may be lower. Right. And also, if the video is fuzzy due to your distance from the camera, because that's also a variable, um, it might have a poor estimate of where your particular body parts are. Interesting. And so I guess the, the big question here is, did you try out the app to make some music, Susan? Honestly, Jesse, I did make an attempt. The thing with all this fancy in-browser deep learning modeling is that it's incredibly computationally intensive. My MacBook Air with its 1.7 gigahertz processor, 8 gigabyte RAM, and very ordinary default seven-year-old graphics card was not really up to the task. So in short, the music didn't quite flow, even though I was moving at all the right points, I think. So the whole experience was kind of like playing DDR with a broken leg. Oh, that's a shame. So their website really should state some minimum specs that would be required to make this work well. Otherwise, it could be an embarrassment for both the person conducting as well as maybe the app designers themselves, right? Because you don't really know, is it my fault? Is it their fault? What's going on here? <laughs> yes, very true. Very true. Susan, what is your favorite movie of all time? And do you think that movie was influential? Wow, this is one of those questions that I think um, can be embarrassing, right? If you pick a really silly movie. <laughs> okay, honestly, I'd say my favorite movie is Inception. It was certainly influential for me because I had always been fascinated about dreams and lucid dreaming as a child, but I'm not sure I'd call it broadly influential. So what exactly do you mean here by influential? That is an excellent question. There are a number of ways a movie's influence can be assessed. And I think most often we hear about its influence based on just its box office sales. Um, but on sciencedaily.com, I recently saw a paper highlighted by um, Biaglio and Pensa from 2018, which appeared in Applied Network Science. Um, and they took a different approach to de determining the most influential movie of all time, um, they actually considered over 47,000 full and medium length films from the Internet Movie Database or just IMDb. And in their abstract, they say that their objective is to measure the success of a movie by accounting how much it has influenced other movies produced after its release from both the artistic and the economic point of view. And so they, um, they note that most of their films are from the United States or Europe, so their analysis is really more from a Western perspective. 
Cool. So, okay. So assessing influence from both an economic and artistic perspective, that sounds still a little bit vague to me. How would they have done that? You mentioned they use network science. So are they trying to find connections between films? Yes, exactly. Um, So apparently on the IMDb, it allows users um, or at least registered users to add information to the database. And so information um, that has been added include, include some, um, some things like references between films, um, such as just noting if a, a movie was a remake of an older film or um, if somehow one film was inspired by another earlier film. Or I, I notice even if even if a, a film was somehow playing on a TV that appeared in the movie, that the movie that appeared on the TV could be referenced as um, uh, within this database as a connection. And so um, their intuition of the study is that, um, sorry, the, their intuition for this study is that if a, a film um, is referencing another film, then somehow that reference movie has somehow influenced the, um, the film. And so the nodes of the network are the 47,000 plus films and the directed edges between the nodes indicate that one film in some way referenced uh, another film. And all the films that they consider are either referenced in another film or, um, or referenced another film. Cool. So they're building this big network, 47,000 nodes, as you say. Uh, based on user input data, and then they're going to somehow analyze this network, maybe quantitatively to assign influence. Is is that right? Yes, um, exactly. And so using the references network that they constructed, um, they consider four what are referred to as centrality parameters of the network. And um, the four centrality parameters that they use are in degree, closeness, harmonic, and page rank centrality. So these are summary statistics of the graph, and um, I'll I'll describe them just briefly. Um, The in-degree centrality is is maybe the easiest to understand. It's really just a count of how many other movies referenced some movie. Um, Let's just call it movie A. So how many movies that they considered referenced movie A? Uh, So uh, the more movie A is referenced, the more other movies have been influenced by movie A. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and then the closeness centrality for movie A is one divided by um, one divided by the sum of the length of the shortest paths between movie A and all the other movies in the network. Um, so, just you have movie A that's connected to the other movies, and so it's the um, so the short the shortest path between movie a and the other movies add those all together and then take the inverse and that's the closest closeness centrality um if movie a is if it's central then the sum of these path lengths will be low because it will be close to all the other nodes um, so if you imagine let's say some movie was referenced by all forty-seven thousand plus films right then that the shortest path length is just that one connection to each of those films. So it would be very central. Mm. And the harmonic centrality takes the sum of the reciprocal of those path lengths. And, um, and then the page rank centrality is a little bit more complicated, but ultimately it just tries to assign a centrality score by also factoring in how important or influential 
the um, movie A's connections are. So if movie A is referenced by a very influential movie, then it would um, have a higher score there. And, and this is actually used in the Google search engine for ranking websites. And so then, um, so you have these four centrality measures and um, they're computed for each of the movies and then average to get an overall influence score. Got it. So at the end of all of this, you get um, sort of 47,000 numbers. They're all each going to be sort of um, the average centrality measure per movie. And that's what's then used to obtain a ranking for influence? Yes, exactly. Yep. So what do they find? Uh, Yes. So the number one most influential movie of all time, according to this method, is The Wizard of Oz which was made in, or at least released in 1939. Then the second um, was Star Wars, the original from 1977. And that was followed by Psycho from 1960. Is it embarrassing to say that I don't think I've watched any of these three movies? (laughs) I feel like I recall scenes of Judy Garland from Wizard of Oz, but I'm not sure that I've watched it. It might be just sort of seeing clips of it floating around somewhere. That's probably about it. So I've definitely seen The Wizard of Oz, but I can't remember the last time I saw it. I really, I I love that movie as a kid. I I like the horse of a different color. I I believe I saw the first Star Wars film, but I I definitely would need to watch it again. And I have no plans to see Psycho. (laughs) I am really not into scary movies. So one other thing to note is that I feel this metric is somehow um, not accounting for the fact that older movies have had longer times to influence other movies, right? So it's almost like we wish they did some sort of adjustment with respect to time so that we don't just wind up favoring movies that have been much older. Yeah, exactly. Actually, um, what what they note or what's noted in, in one of the articles that was talking about this uh, was that the top... 20 most influential movies were all made before 1980. Uh, so they, uh, yeah, they definitely were not accounting for any sort of, of time effect. And um, yeah, it'd be interesting to think about how they, how they could adjust it. Um, like maybe somehow standardizing for movies um, based on the year that they were, they were made. I, yeah. But it's definitely favoring the older films because there's been more time to have more connections and um, or references. So yeah, that's an important thing to keep in mind. Cool. It's really interesting. Thanks for listening to Data Bytes. If you have any suggestions or comments for us, please visit our website at databytespodcast.github.io. And that is Data Bytes spelled with a Y. So D-A-T-A-B-Y-T-E-S podcast dot github dot I-O. Till next time.